It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am really looking forward to talking with my guest today. Joining me is John Barrows, founder of Jay Barrows Limited Sales Trainers, the world's leading tech companies. If you've been to a tech conference, you've heard John speak undoubtedly. And, and I'll tell you before we get started, is people listening, you know, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of sources of good sales information available to you out there, books, blogs, podcasts, and so on. Some good, a lot of it not so good. But if you're listening to this podcast, I know you appreciate thoughtful, quality content about sales. And so I don't plug my guests very often before the show, but if you're not following John, you should. Great blogs, good videos, great newsletter, good, solid, sensible, practical sales advice, which I really appreciate. John, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you very much, Andy. I appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff. So tell us, how'd you get your start in sales? Oh, just kind of like everybody else, I fell into it. You know, since there's very few uh, majors in sales these days, it's getting better. But what was your major at school? Uh, it was marketing. You know, the typical. Okay. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but well, I was a history major. It could have been worse. <laughs> there you go. Almost as almost as useless. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, um, but yeah, I got you know marketing and and kind of got recruited out of University of Maryland with the Walt Power Tools, which recruited heavily out of there, and mm-hmm. it was a sales position, but it really was. Wasn't sales. It was more event marketing. You know, driving around, giving away free tools to construction workers, which was pretty awesome because I loved the Walt Power Tools, so it made it easy. And then uh, graduated to within DeWalt to selling to Home Depot. So taking a deal from you know a ten thousand dollar order to a fifty thousand dollar order by doing end caps and promotional mm-hmm. stuff. So it was a little bit more sales. And then but working with that, individual store managers or regional managers to they said yeah. to set up the displays at the end caps and so on. Exactly. So I had the territory here in Boston. It was one of the top territories in the country and um, working with those store managers and, and helping figure out how to place the stuff so we can sell through and doing, you know, different uh, events and stuff like that at, uh, at the different stores. And so um, from there, I just I didn't want to move all over the place because that's what the DeWalt culture was all about is like every six months you had to move to a different region or whatever. And so I ended up getting a job with Xerox selling copiers, and mm. that's really where I got my formal sales training because they have that really solid, um, you know, sales training program. It's an eight-week sales training program that's pretty well regarded, even though I didn't know it at the time. And uh, you know, selling copiers. I think if anybody's ever sold copiers, they know they definitely learn how to sell and take rejection pretty quick <laughs> because <laughs> it's a straight-up commodity sale. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and I also sold to the government too, so it wasn't even I, I couldn't even negotiate on contract. It was one of those things where my price was my price, and you know there had been five or six reps in the territory for uh, over the course of three years, so there was no trust or anything like that. So it was a challenge um, uh, that uh, really helped me understand about relationship selling and building building rapport and getting people to trust me, so that eventually I could sell them what made sense. Uh, even though I almost got fired from my boss early on because I really didn't sell much for six months. Uh, you know, they they put me in territory pretty quick because of however I interviewed and. You know, and six months into it, my boss is like, hey, you haven't sold anything yet. You know, if you don't, you're going to be fired. I'm like, would you just calm down here a minute? You know, you put me in this territory for a reason. You guys have ravaged this for the past three years. There's no trust built here. And so uh, 
because I did the re- relationship building stuff and, and really earned the trust after about seven months, I ended up just crushing it because I brought a plan to every single one of my accounts with their click through rates and strategy of how to flip over all their old stuff and the new stuff. And, kind of walked into his office after a while and just dropped like four huge contracts on his desk. I'm like, all right, you happy now? And, uh, and he didn't really appreciate that too much. So, um, <laughs> our relationship wasn't too solid. I, I knew yeah, I early say, on. And then you were gone. Yeah. Well, I knew early on I was, uh, I was a pain in the ass to work with. And so, um, yeah, I always had kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. My parents were both, uh, contractors and consultants. So even though I didn't know it, that's kind of what I grew up with. And, uh, you know, the corporate world just didn't fit for me. I didn't like the, Hey, you have to spend two years doing this, then two years doing that, then two years doing this. You know, I was like, Hey, why don't, why don't I get promoted based on performance here? And that wasn't the way it worked there. So an opportunity came up where a good friend of mine uh, from high school started a company an outsourced it services company, small self-funded and needed some help with sales. And so I jumped on board as the fourth member there and really, you know, had no idea what I was doing when I was 23 years old. So I took every training there was, Sandler, Miller, Hyman, Taz, Spin, you know, you name it, I was taking it. And um, I came across Basho. It was a training that I really, really liked. And uh, What was it called again? It was called Basho, Basho Technologies or Basho Strategies. It was a local training company here in Boston that really just out of nowhere had some insane clients and, uh, you know, Symantec and all these people all these huge companies. And, you know, I took the training. It was a workshop. I thought it was fantastic because it was very tactical and execution oriented as opposed to strategy or methodology oriented. And I'm, I'm a very tactical, like, hey, how do you do this? You know, don't, don't, let's not talk about the theory of sales. Let's talk about how to actually do this. And it resonated with me. So, uh, when I ended up growing Thrive Up, using those techniques, helping grow Thrive, and we were the fastest growing company in Massachusetts for a few years in a row, got us to about 85 employees and about 12 million in revenues, and then we sold off to Staples. So Staples came and bought us, and spent about a year going through that integration, and uh, again, come to... Decided you don't to, want to work for big companies. Yeah, I came back. Well, I thought it was a challenge. Like For me, seven years in, and it's interesting this comes up today, because um, I actually just got a call from a friend who, you know, he brought his company to, t- uh, to 15 million and now the executives are looking to hire an SVP of sales who's been there, done that to take them to the next level. And I think one of the most important things you can do as, uh, you know, in, in business, especially in the startup world, in any world, is to really understand your fit and where you fit in the world of business. Whether it's, are you a startup guy and you like the chaos up to a certain point? Are you the guy that once the structure's in place can take it to the next level? Or can you, are you the IPO and, you know, public company where you can fit in that structure and all that bureaucracy? Um, I found out with Staples that I was more the startup guy. I mm-hmm. was more of the, I like chaos. I hate bureaucracy. I hate red tape. Um, and I just don't play well. I just, I don't know how to play the political game. And so after a while, Staples recognized that and they offered me another position, which was a nice way of firing me. Right. And, um, it was in Alaska. Yeah. And, uh, and so eventually they, um, you know, so I was looking for another job and, and Basho came knocking and said, Hey John, you, you know, do you want to be a trainer? And I, I, at first I was like, absolutely not, you know? And, and they said, why not? I said, well, because the majority of sales trainers that I had experienced up until that point in my career, well, there were two types, either failed sales professionals or professional presenters. 
You know, it was somebody who's who couldn't do it, so they, you know, you hold it, you hold the whole adage of if you can't mm-hmm. do it, train it, or right. you can't do it, you know, teach it. Um, or somebody who had been, you know, hey, 20 years ago, back in my day when I was selling, and I didn't want to be a part of that. And they said, well, John, don't worry, you have to use these techniques that we're going to train you on to sell so you can get paid. So I actually had to sell my own training, which I liked. And so I used the techniques, um, got onto Basho, brought on some of the bigger accounts, took over some of the bigger ones. And then uh, about a year and a half into that one, new CEO came in, uh, restructured the company to focus on technology, ended up firing 30 or 35 of us on the spot, and really just left the training on the side of the road to die. And I've always said I'm not the biggest, I'm not the smartest cat out there, but I'm definitely an opportunist. And so I walked into his office and just said, hey, you know, what are you going to do with the training? And he didn't have a great answer. And so I said, well, what if I started a company, um, you know, took over the client from a training perspective, gave you some resale. You keep the deposits on the training that's out there. I'll keep the receivables and then I'll send you a, a reseller fee and uh, we're good to go. And he was like, all right, make it happen. So I took one of the other trainers with me and we started uh, a company called Kensei Partners, which was fun for a while. And then about three years ago, I split off on my own, mm-hmm. um, mainly to focus on the SaaS industry. I mean, Salesforce.com is my biggest client. And so with that ecosystem, um, I really wanted to kind of focus on the innovation and the drive and the push because I just, I really like the energy of the SaaS world. Um, not only do they lead the way in technology, but they also push the envelope when it comes to sales. So it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me for, you know, it forces me to evolve, right. which is, which is fun. So. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about one of your recent blog posts, which serve mm-hmm. a good segue from sales training and I love the title. You said, you know, you can't, sales, you can't wait for sales training to get better. If you're a sales rep, you can't wait for sales training to get better. You have to take some responsibility for educating yourself and improving. So what should a rep do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting now because a lot of reps will wait for them to tell somebody else, tell them, have somebody else tell them what to do. And, you know, I've never been that way in my career. I've always been, I, I got to figure this out. Um, you know, even leads that, um, you know, related to inbound leads, I never relied on inbound leads to hit my quota. I always thought that as the icing on the cake, right? So I want to always go out and find my own business. Same thing with training. I mean, there's so much content out there. There's so much good and, and bad, like you talked about before. Um, but it's actually not that hard to train yourself these days. Uh, I mean, the content game, as you and I both know, it's, it's, I knew about, I think it was like a year and a half ago when, when LinkedIn bought Linda, I knew the content game was, was dying really quick because if you came out with a new methodology or a new technique or whatever, within a day, somebody's going to write a blog post on it and it'll be out there for free. And so that's to me right now, there's so much information out there that really the, the key is trying to filter it all through and find out what's good and what's bad and where should we focus our efforts. And the one thing I would say to reps who are listening here, you know, somebody asked me, John, now that you're 40, you know, if you, if you could go back and tell your 22 year old self something, what would it be? And my number one answer to that was AB split testing mm-hmm. and, you know, AB trying different approaches. And, you know, coming, you know, figuring out one issue that you're having, whether it's an objection or dealing with gatekeepers or trying to get into talk to CFOs or whatever. Or even a behavior of your own. Yeah, even a behavior of your own, whatever it is, and coming up with two different approaches to it. And then, then really being thoughtful about how you do that and saying, you know what, I'm going to try this approach 10 times and I'm going to try another approach 10 times. And I'm going to see which one yields a higher response rate. 
And I think that's the way that we can train ourselves to get better every day. I mean, I, I'm writing a post now that's going out tomorrow called The Rule of 1%, which is one of my 12 guiding principles, which is, you know, live your life by the rule of 1%. Set the, set the bar at a high but attainable level, but then every day just try to get 1% better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a way to do that is, you know, to, to identify things that you want to work on, not necessarily your weaknesses. I'm not a big believer in focusing on your weaknesses. I'm a big believer in focusing on your strengths. But I'm also a believer in trying different things out to figure out what your strengths actually are. Because especially as a young sales rep, you don't really know what you don't know yet. You know, you're in that kind of unconsciously un- incompetent world. And you're saying, okay, well, I, I got to figure this out. What's my style? What's my approach? You know, and and by taking that split test mentality and absorbing the information that's out there in a filtered way, you can start to get better a lot faster. And you don't have to rely on training uh, for somebody else to come in, for instance, to sit through a day session or whatever to get better. Because it's it's about those nuggets and tips. It's not about the big, long, whatever. What frustrates me about sales training and sales books is that, you know, you usually sit through an entire day of sales training and you walk out with one or two nuggets mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that was great. And it's like, you know, you had to sit there for eight hours to get what to put in a subject line, really? Or, you know, where, you know, I, I know context is important and stories are great and that's what I do. But I try to kind of cut through all the crap and say, look, this is what you should be focusing on. And so that you're walking out of here with at least more than one or two but I think those one or two nuggets are all over the place. I mean, there's blogs, there's you know different uh, eBooks, there's millions of things out there from a content standpoint. And by looking for it and trying different things out, you can start to figure out what works for you instead of what works for everybody else. Exactly, and I, I love the one percent perspective. I actually wrote a post similar to that a year and a half or so ago about uh, having read an article. Because I believe that, but I read this article about the uh, guy that manages, if you, I don't know if you're a bicycle racing fan, Tour mm. de France fan, but the guy that runs the Sky team that has mm. you know, been the best team that had the three champions, what, three or four of the last five years. And that's exactly what he does. He, he calls it the aggregation of marginal gains. Mm-hmm. You know, just what can I do to get 1% better, half percent better, you know, on these various things across the board? And it's not like it's any one of them is revolutionary. No. It's just... I'm working to make it slightly better. If I can make it yeah. slightly better, that gives me that slight advantage. And, you know, as I tell people when I talk to them about sales, is, you know, you don't, you only have to be 1% better to win. Yeah, absolutely. It makes all the difference. I mean, if you look at the races right now in the Olympics, a lot of these come down to that half a second that, you know, which is that extra stroke or whatever it is that that player, that that uh, person did to, to get the gold medal instead of the silver. And, I, and I'm always shooting for the gold. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that's a great one. I love that. Um, so, a question, sorry, an interesting question for, I think, in this regard is, you know, you talking about test and experiment, which I think is fantastic, is how much time should a rep budget to for self-improvement? And really, even how much money, necessarily, should they budget of their own yeah. for self-improvement, let's say, on an annual basis? Yeah, I mean, I think time every day, it's tough because the the... Expectations of reps, depending on what company you're in, you know, there's always the whatever the metrics are, right? Make 50 dials, do this, do that, go on this many meetings. So it's really hard to to fit that in. But people say they don't have time, (laughs) which cracks me up because they think, oh, I'm just because I got so many too too many things to do, and that's just that's not the case. The the real reason people don't have time is because they're not focused, right? They're all over the place in what they do. Um, You know, I always say if you if you say you're a good multitasker, I'm going to tell you straight up, you're you're very inefficient in what you do. Mm -hmm. 
because the you know the book called Myth of Multitasking right. talks about how the brain can't do more than one thing at the same time, and so I think and it how comes much time down, you waste trying to go from task to task. I mean, yeah, exactly. The, the, interrupts, the interrupts are fairly substantial in terms of time consumption, and it kills momentum and everything else. And so that's where I think the biggest key is really to look at your days and really structure them out, set good goals, you know, own your calendar, that type of thing. Because you, if you do that, you can really find the time. I just do an hour. You know, my routine is. Everybody, I've been a lot of doing a lot of reading about people and successful people, and you know, one thing that comes up a lot is this whole notion of a routine, where really successful people have a routine that they go through on a daily basis. You know, really successful athletes, you know, they listen to a certain playlist, they stretch out a certain way, whatever, to get their mind in the right mood. And I try to implement that into my day-to-day routine with every morning. So. You know, I learn something every day because instead of checking my fantasy leagues or, you know, or reading the paper, which is fine. My dad still to this day, he reads the morning paper and drinks his coffee to get into his day. What I do is there's there's all these tools out there that you can have information come to you that you should be learning about, that you want to learn about. Like I use a product called Feedly. It's F-E-E-D-L-Y. It's a RSS aggregator that basically allows me to, you know, create a folder, for instance, called sales blogs, and then go find the top five or six or ten sales blogs that I like reading and put them into that. And when I open up that folder, it shows the headlines of all the blogs. So I can kind of scan through the headlines and look for good things to, to talk, you know, to, to read about things that I'm interested in. Or if I'm focusing on the SaaS industry, that's the main industry I tend to focus my efforts on. You know, well, I want to go find the thought leaders in SaaS and what are they talking about? What are some of the trends out there to educate myself on what's happening? Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm selling to CFOs, well, I'm going to follow some of the top CFOs in certain industries and listen to what they're saying and just read a few posts. I'm not a big book reader. Like I don't, uh, I, I don't have a lot of time to sit down and read a 200 page, 300 page book, but I love the blog post format where it's, you know, three, four, five paragraphs. I can pick up a, a nugget or two. And so every morning I just, I read my morning paper and scan through all that stuff and look for interesting things. And that's how I tend to educate myself and get that much better every single day. In addition to obviously following what my clients are doing and getting alerts on you know, triggers and those type of things that, uh, that I can use to make connections with them on. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I think it's a great approach. I mean, I'll advocate for reading books, not just because I write books, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to a lot of the sales books. I mean, I, in terms mm-hmm. of you know the first fifty pages are mostly what you need to read, right. but exactly. uh, having done that, you're you know three quarters of the way through it. But yeah, take you know turn off the TV for an hour a night and and yeah. read a book. You know we're actually doing an interesting thing with one of my clients is right now is is they've set aside time in the business day every day fifteen minutes mm-hmm. that all the sales reps read, and they've yeah. got an assigned book of the month. So we're doing a book of the month club for twelve months, and they're all reading the same book and they're given time during the business day to read it mm-hmm. and so it. at the end of the year they'll have read 12 books that they would never have read before and if you, as you said you know, if they pick up just one or two nuggets from each one they're well ahead and probably much more further ahead than if they had invested $20,000 on sales training well, that's it. And then, you know, your question about how much they should invest from a cash standpoint, I mean, I don't think you have to invest anything. I mean, I think the information's out there. It's just you got to go find it and make the time to go to go look through it. Um, you know, I used to do that as a VP of sales. I used to do the same thing. I, I had a, I forced my reps. Uh, there was a recurring meeting on their calendar every day at six o'clock from, for 15 minutes. And all it said was think. 
And all I wanted them to do was put down their laptops, put down their phone and think about their day and how it went and, and also plan for the fall, plan for the next day. Mm-hmm. And the amount of productivity gains that they got from just planning out the following, you know, the next day and what they were going to do and what their goals were was off the charts. And some of the ideas that came out of that brief 15 minutes were, were off the charts too because they'd be like, hey, you know what? I thought about it today. I really was taking this approach. I don't think it worked all that well. I'm going to try this tomorrow. And then tomorrow they'd come in and come back and say, wow, I tried that. It was it worked great. You know, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, those type of things. So there's little things that you can do, but I think owning your calendar, setting goals, you know, using a lot of tools that are out there to filter information, have it come to you instead of you always having to go to search for it are, are easy ways where you can educate and train yourself without having to spend a dime on it. All right, let's talk about some other sort of practical approaches to problem solving. You've talked recently, written recently about demonstrations, you know, talking about SaaS spaces, (laughs) demos, and that, you know, they're happening way too early in the process. So, (laughs) So let's talk about that. So what do you see happening? I mean, you're involved with a lot of companies, and we have a lot of people in the SaaS business that listen to this. Yeah, I, you know, it's brutal. Uh, you know, the reps, they, and you know, I wrote a post a while ago called the death of the average sales rep. And, and I, I don't say death of sales rep, sales are always going to be around, but I think the average sales rep is going to die a painful death because, you know, the ones going through the motions, blasting out template emails, making generic cold calls, asking basic bant questions, you know, and press and play on demos. And it amazes me every week I go through demos and, um, you know, because a lot of people, and I'm sure you do the same thing. A lot of people will call us up and say, Hey John, I got this new cool tool. Could you take a look at it? Love to get your mm-hmm, feedback. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, could you recommend me to some clients? And I'm always up for it. Cause I, I just, I want to see what's out there. I want to see the new stuff, but every single demo is exactly the same. They start off. Hey, okay, John, thanks for, you know, thanks for your time. Is this still a good time? It's, yeah, it's on, it's on my calendar. Yes. Um, and then they'll, okay, well, we've got about a 30, 30 minute demo here and let me know if you have any questions as we go through it. And then they just, then they go, and they just press play and they, well, we were founded in June of 2000 by three, you know, and they just go into this tire and it's like, and then they stop every once in a while and they say, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Which I think is a terrible question, right? Nobody, I I used to ask that a lot too, by the way, I used to say, Hey, does that make sense? And Never was somebody like, no, man, that was so far <laughs> over my head. I don't even know what you talked about there. And even if they did say yes, it didn't tell me whether or not it made sense. In their and context. So, yeah. yeah, in their context. And so, you know, they just go through it and they get there. You know, they do it exactly the way they were taught in boot camp when they got their badge and they got certified on it. But it's just, and that's necessary. Like, I do believe it's necessary to get certified and, you know, so that you can present it exactly the right way. But then if you don't make it your own, you're no different than marketing. Like I, I, with a marketing background, I could put together a better demo than you can if all you're going to do is press play. You know, my suggestion for reps who are out there looking at, de- you know, putting together demos is if it's a half an hour demo, spend the first 10 minutes asking the client what their priorities are, what they want to see out of the demo, and then take that 30 slides or whatever it is and really cut it down to the 10 or so that are actually going to make, be, make a difference to the client and get your product or solution to stand out. And also, instead of asking, does that make sense, pause at certain points of the, uh, of the discussion and say, you know what, I'm going to pause there. That was something that, that was a pretty big component of our solution. And you had said earlier that this is one of your priorities. I wanted to ask you, how do you see that fitting into your existing process? Or could you explain to me how that compares to how you're doing things now? Because the way that you explain it to me or you know, give me an example of how it fits into your existing process tells me everything I knew, need to know on whether or not it made sense. And and so just the, the context around it, uh, that's something, so Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm, I'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. of him, 
he got my attention early on when he said the context versus content. Yep. You know, he said, you know, everybody talks about content is king, content is king. And he said, well, if content is king, then context is God. And that got me thinking about sales versus marketing. And that's what it is. I think marketing is content. Sales is context. It should be. Yeah, and if you're not putting any context around the content, then you're no different than marketing. And I have no idea why you're getting paid commission. Yeah, or Just, you're not adding any value to the prospect if you're not yeah. providing context. Yeah. They the can template. get the content online. Exactly. Like the white paper email. It drives me crazy. The, you know, the person that goes on the website and downloads the white paper, the email that, that a rep sends is the template, hey, I saw you download the white paper. I'd like to talk to you about your 2016 priorities. Now we can help you achieve your goals. Like, <laughs> I don't need you to do that. Like, if, First of all, if I wanted to talk to you about the white paper, I would have called you about it. Second of all, you sending me that email, I could, I could configure Marketo, Eloqua, you name it, whatever the marketing to automation. Send the same email, yeah. To send it set and send it better than you, by the way, because they're gonna because the tool's gonna allow me to analyze the the results and figure out split test and figure out which what's the best message to send you. So that's where I think the reps, if they don't wake up, I do believe that I think our job has changed in sales, and it is to. It's, it's, you know, we used to be the people that had the information and the client had to come to us or we had to come to them to show them, hey, you know what, here's this new cool thing. But now the information's out there. I do think it's our, our job to get people, our clients to think. I think that today steady state is just not acceptable anymore no. because sales or technology is evolving so fast. There's not one industry right now that's safe as it relates to technology. And I, and, you know, I use the dummy example like Uber. You know, do you think the taxi industry had any idea that Uber was coming? And obviously now they're trying to play catch up. And, and because of the hockey stick evolution of technology, there's not one t industry out there that's safe, including sales. And I, the way I look at it is that part of my job is to get sales reps to wake up and realize if they keep going through the motions, they're going to get replaced. And also their job as sales professionals is to get their clients to think, look, if you don't start looking ahead here, if you don't start evolving, you might be okay today, but tomorrow you might wake up and be out of work or out of a job. So I just want to share with you some of the new stuff is working on, if for nothing else, to, to let you know what's out there. But isn't it in a lot of cases, though, and this is you know a great topic of conversation is that it really goes back to just doing the basics. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, yes. not, it's not like there's anything brand new and revolutionary out no. there. They're in danger because they're not doing the basics. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, the the fundamentals, anybody ever comes to tell you there's something new in sales, you just tell them to shut up because every everything is just an iteration of something that's already been out there. Now, the technologies and how we connect with people is different. Sure. But the foundational pieces, you know, the structure, I always talk about the science versus the art of selling. You know, it still amazes me how many people don't use agendas for meetings. Um, it still amazes me how many people don't summarize the conversation after they have it with somebody and send it over to them to confirm that that was, you know, that that was something that, uh, you know, just to confirm that we heard the right things from you. Or, uh, or confirm appointments before yeah, they happen. I mean, confirm appointments. Gosh, because, yeah. you know, the problem with, you know, in SaaS business, talking about, Gosh, what's the yield off of the appointment set by the by the SDRs? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I worked with one company. It's it was pretty easy to get that that yield rate up pretty substantially. Just do some more confirmation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I use this uh, simple technique, and it's uh, I, I call it a shared agenda. And the shared agenda is I send you an email today saying, hey, I'm looking forward to our meeting tomorrow. Um, I wanted to make sure that we get the most out of our time together. Here's a few things that I want to make sure that we cover. What do you want to make sure? That, what, what would you like to add? And I'll, so I'll leave two or three bullet points. Mm -hmm. And then I'll leave three or four bullet points blank. And just say, hey, you know, just fill in the blanks. 
when I get that email back, I'm in, I, I know I'm in for a great meeting. Um, when I don't, it's not that the meeting is going to be bad, but it's, they're maybe not as engaged. And then I use that to help guide the conversation because if you're not using an agenda to guide the conversation, they're in control. You're not. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And the other thing that just sort of, again, is back to the fundamentals is, and you know, you're exposed to a lot of new reps and your business, you're working with the SaaS companies and so on. And is how do you get people to focus on the other person? Because that—that that uh, is one of the most fundamental skills that's really missing, and the one that that I think if you can't master, you are at risk of being replaced because you're not able to add any value if you can't make it about the buyer. Yeah, it's um, it's, and I think that has to do with the prep that you do prior to the conversation. I mean, if you're not preparing, if you're not looking at their website and doing at least a little bit of research before you have a conversation with somebody, inherently you have to make it about you. You know, then you're going to go through the motions of giving the pitch. Um, but if you're genuinely curious and you look for those things to strike up interesting conversations about. You know, I always just look for stuff that I, I'm curious about, you know, based on your background, based on what's happening in your business, because that tells me on whether or not it's a good fit for you or not. You know, everybody always knows that you, if you talk more than the client does, then your chances of them buying anything from you are not high. But yeah. it's, it's actually pretty easy to get people, if you ask the right questions. And I think that's where, I think, I don't, regardless of how senior you are in sales or how experienced you are in sales, I think the thing that all of us need to get better at is asking better questions. And, um, and the flip side to that is listening to the answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is the one that drives me nuts, but I mean, the words I use when I work with companies and used it on the show many, many times is you have to learn how to listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. If you're asking a great question, don't presume you know the answer. Right. <laughs> listen without having the preconceived answer in mind. Well, and that's why, you know, preparing those questions actually beforehand is important because if you don't, then you're just kind of making it up on the fly and you're thinking about what that next question should be as opposed to listening to what the actual answer is. Mm -hmm. And most people take the answer for face value where the answer a lot of times isn't the real answer. I mean, we talk about my favorite type of question. I mean, there's open-ended and closed-ended questioning, but my favorite type of questioning is the layering questioning. Well, what do you mean by that? Could you explain to me how? Could you give me an example? Tell me more. Yeah. And that's where I tend to get the best information out of people. Exactly. That's a great question. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Tell me more, right? Or or Mm -hmm. another one that somebody told me recently, he calls it the awe question. And what else? Mm Mm-hmm. If you can just keep that in mind, you get these great following questions that really start digging into what the customer is really concerned about. Yeah, and the whole active listening thing. I mean, I think the the people mistake active listening for you know nodding their head and saying "Yep, uh huh." I actually think that's the actual opposite of it. Right. right? I can always tell when somebody isn't paying attention to me when the "yeps" and the "uh huhs" come at all the wrong times. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm presenting something or I'm talking, and you hear "yep, uh huh, sure, yep, uh huh," and you're like, "Yeah, that really wasn't an area where you should have said yep." So, but if you summarize it back, let me make sure I'm clear with this. What you said was this, and you summarize it back to them. And that's why the, what that one of my favorite nuggets and tips that I share with clients is, and reps is that summary email, where after the conversation, and, and you have to let them know what's coming, by the way. So I say, hey, thanks for your time today, Andy. Um, you know, some next steps and action items here. Before I go ahead and do all that, though, what I'm going to do is when we get off the phone here, I'm going to briefly summarize what I was able to gain from our conversation today. And I'm just going to send you over to a quick email. Could you do me a favor and email me back to let me know if it's all accurate and if I missed anything? 
and, and I get you to say yes, right? And then right afterwards, I take all my notes and I crunch them down. I don't, this isn't an opportunity for you to write a book or reiterate your value proposition. This is purely to confirm what you heard from them. So thanks for taking the time. It was a brief summary. Your current situation is this. Your priorities are this. Your timeline is this. Your decision process is this. Next steps. You're going to do this. I'm going to do that. So you know, then you get them to confirm. First of all, that shows active listening, right? And a lot of times they'll correct mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now I have something to hold you professionally accountable for what you're telling me. Because two weeks later, I, I don't remember this conversation. And for you to try to remind me what I told you two weeks ago, please, I barely remember what I said five minutes ago. Forget about five days ago. Exactly. But if you have an email and you're like, hey, John, and you, this is what you said. It, have things changed? Because if things have changed, let's get it back on the phone. Let's reset expectations here. But if they haven't, Let's, let's talk about this, right? Because I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit harder because you said your priorities and timeline were this. So I'm exactly. gonna, this, that allows me to push you and do the challenger sales stuff or whatever because um, I have it documented. Excellent. Well, if people are looking for one nugget to take away from this podcast, <laughs> there's been many, but that was a good one right there. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> all right. So now we go to the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the, the first one is a hypothetical scenario. <laughs> Were you, John Barrows, have just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out? And CEO <laughs> is anxious to get things turned around. And yeah, I know it can't happen right away. But your first week on the job, what two things could you do that could have the biggest impact? Uh, you know, <laughs> I would say meet with the customers, meet with the happy customers and go find the customers that churned um, and ask them why. I mean, that that ultimately is is why the company is or isn't doing well is because they're not if they're not doing well, then obviously customers aren't either getting the value out of the solution or the the messaging about the value of the solution is not getting through. And so if I would have, if my first goal is to, first of all, interview everybody in the company to understand, first of all, get my passion going about why, why should I be working here? I think the number one thing you need to be successful in sales is a belief in what you do. So I want to learn that company as much as I possibly can. And a way I do that is by obviously talking to as many people as I can within the organization, not just sales. I'm talking mm-hmm. service, I'm talking engineering, I'm talking executives, whatever. But also, more importantly, going out and really visiting customers and having a, a getting a really good understanding of how people get value out of the service and solution. Um, what do they, you know, what the difference is that we make, and if there really is a big difference. And and again, also go try to find some customers that churned, or go to find some customers that were unhappy with the service and find out why. Because in those answers, you'll find what you probably need to make as far as an adjustment, either from a messaging standpoint or from a delivery standpoint. And you'll also try to identify what that ideal customer profile is that everybody talks about. Because I think that's one of the keys to success with any business is really focusing in on exactly what that ideal customer profile looks like Mm -hmm. and being very focused on it and not bringing on customers that don't fit that profile as tempting as it might be as tempting as it is especially in in early stages absolutely and you know what you you do have to take on you know whoever but what i would rather do instead of taking on revenue early on i would rather take on customers and give you know a discount in return for a case study or a testimonial for that ideal client profile because that's going to teach me a lot about where we add the right value. And then I can take that testimonial case study or whatever and parlay that into reaching out to other people like that target account. Okay, excellent answer. So now some rapid-fire questions. You can give mm-hmm. me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. So when you, John, are out selling your own services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? 
I mean, I think uh, just being very direct and transparent. Um, I, I'm about as transparent as a seller as you get. I, I love sales. I hate the game of sales. Um, mm-hmm. I love, ex- you know, I, I set very clear expectations. I know exactly what I'm good at and what I'm not at. And I turn down more business than I bring on because whenever somebody's trying to push something, trying to fit that square peg into the round hole, I don't do it. Uh, even if they want me because they've heard about my training from other people, I'm like, nah, actually, I'm not a good fit because I want to be able to make sure I can hit a home run because that's where, that's what's gotten to me where I am right now. Okay. I don't, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that was it. (laughs) All right. Um, so next question, who's your sales role model? Um, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think there's you know one particular one, but you know the guy Jeff Hoffman it comes to mind. He's the guy that uh, started Basho Strategies, and uh, I still resell from him. Um, mm-hmm. He was somebody that I really uh, appreciated as far as his approach and his mentality towards things. Um, but I look I look at a lot of different people from a sales standpoint, and you know it's funny that there's it's not a lot of salespeople. It's people who are just passionate about what they do. And I can see that coming through them. So some business leaders that I know, um, just friends that are out there doing the right thing, selling the right way, because everybody thinks that they're, you know, sales is a profession. It's not. It's more of a mentality. I mean, it is a profession, obviously. But I wrote a, a blog post called the, Engi- uh, the Founder's Dilemma a little while ago, where it's got that, you know, that engineer who comes up with that mm-hmm. awesome idea mm-hmm. and goes out there and talks to people about it. And because they talk so passionately about it, because it's theirs, they figure, hey, this is easy, right? Sales is easy. And they hire people. And then the sales reps fail um, because they don't have that same passion. Right. So I look at you know my mentors, or if you will, or you know Jeff Hoffman and a lot of my peers, Trish Bertuzzi, um, you know Lori Richardson, who's sure. just a, a good friend, and I just I love her passion and yep. her approach to sales. So a lot of those people. Good. What's one book every salesperson should read? Influenced by Robert Cialdini. Ah, great book. Yeah. It's not a book on sales. It's a book on psychology and why we do the things the way that we do them, which I'm way more interested than than sales techniques or tips or anything. Yeah, and one of the great things about that book is it also tells you how you you yourself fall victim to these uh, mm-hmm. or fall prey to all these uh, yeah, influence absolutely. tactics that people use. Absolutely. So uh, they can be misused as well. But you know, great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, last question. So, what music's on your playlist these days? Oh man, I'm, I'm still old school. I got the, I'm a '90s rap kid, so I got uh, you know Biggie, Tupac, uh, a lot of that Run stuff. Run DMC, like, okay. Yeah, uh, Run DMC. I, that's the, that got me hooked uh, with a little bit of um, license to uh, with the Beastie Boys. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Jamiroquai. Um, there's Parov Stellar. That's a kind of a 1920s swing band with a with a te- with a um, house beat to it. Oh, interesting. I'm all over the place with my music. I like country. I like house. I like uh, I got rap and hip hop and everything else. As long right. as it's not too hard on one end or the other, I'll listen to it. Excellent. Well, good. Well, John, thanks for being on the show today. Tell people how they can find out more about you. Yeah, I appreciate it. You just go to jbarrows.com, so J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. On there, I have a resource library where I give away probably 80 to 90% of what I do for free. Um, you know, I do have an online portal that has all the training that I give to Salesforce LinkedIn box. I have that that people can sign up for if they're interested. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter and Snapchat. The handle's John M as in Michael Barrows, all one word, no spaces. I answer a lot of questions on Snapchat for kids who are you know having questions throughout the day. So, um, yeah, and then I got my blog, obviously, people can sign up for and get that weekly thing that goes out there. Excellent. Again, thanks again. And remember, friends make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new. 
as we hope you did here today, to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, whether you're listening to commute in the gym or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, John Barrows, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.